0: like to take up a special offering for the guest speaker. <laughs> a little love gift. I do want to talk about gifts, though. In America, this... And let me just say, Byron asked me if I would... Preached this Sunday morning because I had shared with him a message that the Lord had put on my heart and a book that I had just read. Um, This is a book by Ken Blanchard. For any of you who've read The One Minute Manager and a bunch of others, he wrote this with Truett Cathy, who is the founder and president of Chick Fil A, and they wrote this book together called The Generosity Factor. And I picked it up one morning, started reading it, and didn't put it down until I finished reading it. It's not too big a book. But I couldn't put it down because everything that the Lord had been speaking to me over the last couple of years and everything he'd been doing in my life was written in this book. I mean, it was the exact message only articulated and put into a format a whole lot better than the way I could do it on my own. So I taught this in my uh, the life group that we have at the Crowley's house every first and third Thursday at 7 o'clock. And... And I was telling Byron about it, and he said, would you share that with the congregation Sunday morning? So I put it more into a, a lengthier teaching, and it is about gifts. But I want to tell you, if you will, as, you, as I start to teach this, the, the normal thing to do, the normal reaction is to automatically start in your mind coming up with all the excuses on why you can't do this or why this wouldn't work for you or why you wouldn't want to do this. But I guarantee you, if you listen to this and you receive this with an open heart and then you put it into practice, this literally will change your life. I mean, it really will change your life. It'll make you have a better life, no matter how good a life you have now. It's really powerful. So this is what it's about. It's about our gifts. Now, it's Father's Day today, and I joked about taking up a love gift, and people have birthdays, my sister's birthday's today, she's 39, and... There's Christmas, and there's Valentine's Day, and there's Mother's Day, and on and on. There's Secretary's Day, there's Boss's Day. In our society, we have an occasion almost every month to give somebody a gift. And in our minds, those are gifts that we receive. You know, today I received a gift for Father's Day. If you guys wouldn't have laughed, I would have received a gift for an offering. But there's all kinds of gifts that we receive, and the way we process them in our American civilization, our Western culture, is that these gifts are for us, and we receive them. Now, sometimes we share those gifts. For instance, on Valentine's Day, most people get candy, and they usually open the box, and they share the gift with those that are around them, and they give them a piece of candy. But for the most part, those gifts are gifts that we receive that's for us, and that's how we look look at a gift. You know, very few people think around Christmas, I wonder what I'm going to give I usually think, I wonder what I'm going to get. And I mean, that's okay. So there's the gifts that we receive. Now, then there's another kind of gift that we understand and process in our thoughts a little bit differently. By the way, I'm hearing a lot of reverb. Is there a lot of reverb going out there? Yeah, I thought so. I'm told that a lot even without a mic. Uh, (laughs) Those are things that, that's better for me, those are things that are more like spiritual gifts. For instance, if a person has the gift of preaching, like Byron does, Okay, Byron looks at that gift is not a gift that he holds to himself and gets any pleasure out of, but that it only becomes a benefit to the bearer of the gift if he shares that gift. So Byron doesn't get up on Sunday morning, get dressed, go in the bathroom, look in the mirror and then start preaching a sermon to himself because he wouldn't get any benefit and we wouldn't get any benefit. And there's other gifts. There's like gifts of healing. You know, if a person has a healing gift. The only way that that gift ever brings any joy to anybody, again, including the bearer, is if they lay hands on somebody and they pray and they see that person healed. Then there's gifts of prophecy. Again, these are all what we think of as spiritual gifts. And again, you know, ever since Ken Helser was here and he talked about spending time in the morning with the Lord, writing down what's on your heart and then listening for the Lord and writing down what the Lord says to you. I want to tell you, I've been doing that. That has been such a blessing to me. If you guys remember that, if some of you put that into practice, if you haven't, really begin doing it. The other day I was in a real kind of a spiritual lull and really fighting some some negative thoughts, and I felt like the Lord said, get out your journal and read what I've told you already. And it was so neat to have all that stuff written down. Boy, my faith was just built right back up after reading what the Lord said to me. But that's for my own personal edification. But if I have the gift of prophecy where I can call you guys up, like uh, David, um, what was the guy's name that was here the other day? Dennis DeGraff. And I was able to speak a word. Now, everybody who we spoke a word to benefited from that. And so did he, because that gift flowed through him. And so the gift of prophecy is a gift that we think we receive that gift. We don't pray to give away that gift. We pray to receive the gift, but automatically we know that if we're given that gift, we give it away. Okay? Um, Let me see which other ones I've got down here. The gift of tongues is a perfect example. The gift of tongues for the purpose of interpretation is a gift that the Bible actually says if there's no one there to interpret so that the whole congregation to benefit, keep your mouth shut. You know, pray to you and pray to God and be edified yourself, but don't even give that gift unless there's somebody there who can interpret it so that the whole body can benefit. There's another perfect example of that kind of a gift. And then, of course, the gift of interpretation of tongues. The person in the congregation who interprets those tongues, not translates them, but interprets them through that same gift of prophecy. Again, if he just said, oh, that's what that meant, nobody benefits. But as he gives that gift, then everybody benefits. So in our mind, those are the two types of gifts that we have. One gift we receive, one gift we give away. Now, what's neat about these spiritual gifts that we give away is we never have the the mindset. Like, for instance, Valentine's Day, we get the box of chocolate. I don't know about you, but immediately I would count the chocolates, figure out how many I was going to give away, and then nobody touches them again. Because we know that those are exhaustible gifts. Okay? The ones with the peanuts do not touch. You know, the ones that have that real hard center you can barely chew through. Here you go. And (laughs) but we know that eventually that box is going to be empty. Now, with spiritual gifts, we can't get rid of it. We can spend all day long praying for people and preaching to people and prophesying over people and healing people. And at the end of the day, we have just as much as that of that gift, if not more, because we exercised it than we had before. Okay? That's how we look at those gifts. Now, there's four other gifts that God has given to everybody in this room. Everybody has them. Some have more than others, I think Denise even mentioned that. Some have less than others, but every single person in this gift in this room has some measure of these four gifts. And here they are. Time, talent, treasure, and touch. Okay? There's nobody in this room that doesn't have at least some Time, talent, treasure, and touch. But we don't think of those gifts as gifts that were given to us to give away, like the gift of healing. Some of us don't even think of those as gifts. We just take them for granted. They're part of life. Everybody's got them, so I'm not special because I was given them. But those are as much spiritual gifts as prophecy and healing and preaching and so on and so forth. And the same principle applies to these gifts. We don't really benefit unless we give these gifts away. And it doesn't matter how much of these gifts we give away, they're inexhaustible. We'll always be getting more. Because there's a principle in God's Word that usually is speak, spoke of when we speak of sin or when we speak of money. The law of reaping and sowing. You know, isn't that when we use that law? If you sin, what you reap, you'll sow. Or if I'm trying to raise money, what you sow, you'll reap. <laughs> so those, But they're for everything. If you sow time, you're going to reap time. If you sow your talent, you're going to reap your talent. If you sow your treasure, you will reap your treasure. And if you sow your love, your touch, you're going to reap more of that. And it's unexhaustible. You'll never get rid of it. So that's what this book started talking about. It's kind of a a story about one man who's a broker and one man who is an executive. And the executive is, uh, the broker's really into himself and the money he's making and the lifestyle he's living and everything he's doing with his times, talent, treasure, and touch. And then he meets this executive who's really Truett Cathy, but the book doesn't say that. And it talks about all the things that Truett Cathy does with his time, talent, treasure, and touch. You know Chick-fil-A makes $1.4 billion a year. They have 1,000 stores, and their goal was to have one store that did well. And the reason they wanted to do well, their primary reason was that they had gotten a lady to leave her job to run this first this first store in a mall in 1967, and they wanted to make sure that it was success for her, so she didn't lose her job to get you know and then wind up not having a job. So that was their goal to have a successful store for her. Now they have 1,000 successful stores, giving you know making 1.4 billion dollars a year, and so he talks about what he does with that money. You know, J.C. Penney was another guy like that. Lived on 10% of his income, gave away 90%. R.G. Letourneau, he's the guy who invented all the earth-moving equipment you see. If if you see earth-moving equipment, he's the one who invented it. Gave away 90% of his money, lived on the tithe. Anybody who's in business and is making it knows this. If you give the customers what they want, you'll automatically be successful. If I had a product, if I invented a product and everybody in this room wanted it, I wouldn't have to try to convince you to sell it. I wouldn't have to try to convince you to make me rich. I'd just have the product, you'd want it, and automatically I'd sell it to you, and I'd get the money from it. And that's what this book is talking about, is rather than living a life where everything flows to you, live a life where everything flows out of you. And as a result, things will flow back to you. About three years ago, maybe two years ago, is... Matthew mentioned, we went through a three-year period of hell where God would not allow me to make a living for nothing. Now, he provided for us through those three years. We definitely didn't have our wants, but we definitely did have our needs. But I couldn't tell you how we had our needs because we couldn't make any money for three years. Every business I went into fell apart. Nothing I could do would work. I couldn't even go out and get a job that I was qualified for that was hiring for the qualifications that I had. I mean, God just would not let it work. And so that brings you into a time of really seeking. And <laughs> I was really seeking. And then the Lord spoke to me, Matthew six thirty three: Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, and this is probably the first thing that you'll start thinking as far as a but, Lord, but. My thought was, wait a minute. I'm doing everything I possibly can to just put food on the table. I mean, we really got to the point where we were going through our couch cushions and finding quarters. I mean, honestly, that's not a joke. We really were doing that and going down. You know, we, we were driving this car that was smashed in on one side. And the reason it was smashed because we were helping the church move out of Parker Street when some guy who was driving around without a master cylinder used our car to stop. <laughs> and he knew he was driving without a master cylinder, brake cylinder. So anyway, so it's smashed in on one side. It's got no hug cap over here. I mean, and, you know, and this is we went from where we were to this and searching couch cushions for grocery money. And I'm thinking, how in the world can I spend less time trying to make a living and seek first the kingdom when it's taking me every you know, ounce of time that I have just to make a living? But I felt like the Lord was saying, well, I'll take care of that if you take care of this. So I went to Jenny and I asked her, are you okay with this? Because, you know, as a husband, as the provider, as the father, I had a hard time doing that, especially without her permission. And she said, well... Nothing else is working. What do we got to lose? We've lost everything. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny to you. <laughs> but anyway, so, <laughs> so I began doing that. Now, what I did was I still got up in the morning and I still started. I was doing commercial mortgage brokering and I still did that. I called on all the clients that I knew to call, um, talked with all the lenders that I knew to talk with, did everything that I knew to do. But a lot of times that might have taken me an hour with as much business as I had. And so then I had the rest of the day. So then I just started seeking the Lord on what he would have me to do, what he'd have me to be involved in. And then I got to the place where I was waking up every morning and just afresh every day. And this is what I still do today is I said, okay, Lord, today's your day. I am totally available to you. You made me for a purpose on June 15th, 2003. From the beginning of time, you had a plan and a purpose for my life and my desire is to walk in that plan and purpose. So what do you want me to do today? And I would do that every day. And I even told Jenny, you know, it's easy when you're so destitute and so relying on God for everything. I hope that I can keep this mindset when I'm no longer as destitute. I mean, I still rely on God, but because the flow is there now, it's not like every day is critical. And I knew it was going to be harder to do that, but the Lord's allowed me to do that. To Every day, I commit to him for his purposes, to use my time, my talent, my treasure, and my touch for him every day i'm gonna tell you if you fight depression do that it'll eliminate your depression because instead of everything being focused on how it affects you and how everything revolves around you all of a sudden you just forget about who you are and you're just pouring your life into other people's lives and as a result you forget about you and the blessings come if you have a shortage of time that's the first thing most people are thinking sure he had a job where he worked one hour a day he could do it well, you know, now I have it where I can be working on six or seven loans at one time, but the Lord still gives me time. Let me give you just, just a, a neat example. I was in Concord, and I was, got done with the lender I was with, and I was getting ready to drive back to Mooresville, and I just thought, hmm, I've got some time. Lord, is there some place you want me to go before I leave Concord? Is there anybody you want me to meet with to bless? And he popped into my mind, Richie Elkins, a guy I know owns a graphic design business. So I went over to Richie, and I talked to Richie. And then after a little bit, he said, you want to go to lunch? So I said, sure. So we hopped in the car, and we drove to lunch. We went to Blimpies, which I've never been to Blimpies in Concord before. Definitely wasn't planning on going to Blimpies before I left back from Mooresville. And I ran into a guy that I had done some apartment loans for. So I said, what do you do up to these days? He says, oh, I'm buying a food lion um, in Kannapolis. I said, really, what interest rate are you getting? He said, seven and a half. I said, I can get you six. <laughs> and I wound up closing that deal. It was a nice deal. It's a whole food lion. and But I realized that had I not made myself available to the Lord, I wouldn't have received that blessing by just, by just doing that. And there's been times where I'll be driving down the road, and I'll just say, Lord, where do you want me to meet somebody to bless? And I'll feel led to go to Chick-fil-A. And I'll go into Chick-fil-A, and nothing will happen. You know? And I just say, praise God. And then there's other times that I'll stop and ask the Lord where to go. And, again, looking for the opportunities, making myself available and then looking for the opportunities. And then there will be somebody there to bless. The other day when we were doing the picnic thing for Louise, you know, Jenny said, why don't you go to Bojangles and get something? So I go to Bojangles, and there's this elderly man in front of me. And he reaches in his pocket, and he looks at the guy and says, can I pay for a check? pay for this with a check. The man says, no, we don't take checks. And he says, oh, I don't have any cash. And he starts to walk. And it's like, I knew that wasn't a coincidence. I knew that I wasn't over here praying, Lord, send me into the path of somebody to bless. And here's a guy who can't buy his lunch. And so I bought him his lunch in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. And, you know, just said, the Lord loves you. And he sent me here to make sure you ate today. You know? And, you know, it's just that simple. I didn't need to preach him a sermon or get religious about it or anything like that. I just told him the Lord loves him. And those things happened to me. All the time. I mean, very rarely do I walk into a restaurant where I see friends of mine. Now, I say very rarely it doesn't have every time in case you see me, but where I don't feel led to buy their lunch. You know, <laughs> I mean that really does happen a lot. <laughs> I'm going home after church today. <laughs> But, you know, that's another thing. Even going home after church, most of the time in church, the Lord points out somebody to me to invite to our house to have dinner with us after church. I'll tell you, we have had so many times that we didn't have enough food to eat, and the Lord did the miracle of the, uh, the loaves and the, and the fish for us, where we just don't have it, and then people show up, and then it just keeps going and going and going. And we never have a, a time where we've run out of food. And we do this all the time. You know, there's not a need for the miracle of the fish and the loaves unless you have a purpose for the miracle of the fish and the loaves. That's why a lot of times we don't see miracles is we don't place ourselves in positions where we need miracles. So this is what the Lord has been doing in my life in both time, talent, treasure, and touch. Now, I want to just put some um, biblical basis to this. But first thing you have to do is you have to want that to be your life. And I mean, literally want that to be in your life and not for the food lion deals, not for how it benefits you. I mean, those happen, but most of the time that doesn't happen. That was just a a neat story and I wanted to share. But most of the time, it's just for the benefit of blessing that other person and not looking for the blessing in return. See, that's another problem we have in our in our Western civilization, civilization. We feel, okay, God, I'm going to give you Monday, which means you give me Tuesday, you know, and then if I don't get all kinds of blessings on Tuesday, I feel like, wow, God has failed me. You know, it's not about God returning it to you on your timetable or even in the same way that you got it. You know, how many times did God lower your heat bill and never tell you about it? You know, I gave money to so-and-so and I never saw any return for it. But when my heat bill came in and it was $75, when it could have been 175 and God just anonymously brought it down to 75 and never even told you about it. And you won't know about it till you get to heaven. How many times did your, your little boy not trip and knock out his three front teeth on the side of the coffee table, which would have cost you $300 to the ortho, $3,000 to the orthodontist? See, so you don't know these things. You just trust God. And it's not about what you're getting back anyway. It's about what you're giving. And that's the whole plan. So let's, let's look at this as far as time. Hebrews 9.27 says that it's appointed unto every man to die. Hebrews 9.27 now, isn't that neat to know that in God's daytimer, <laughs> you have on this particular date, your name, that you're going to die. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> God's daytimer has it recorded when you're going to die. That means that every day you live, God has given you the gift of time. Okay? Now, time, if you had six months to live, you were told you have six months to live, seven months ago, You'd be looking at every single day as a gift because you cheated it and you got one more day. But yet, because you're appointed to die, every day is a gift. In, um, in Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, it says there's certain things you can do to lengthen your life. Read Proverbs 3. It's a bunch of conditional promises. There's things you can do to actually lengthen the amount of days that you'll live on the earth. So, again, that shows that your days, your time is in God's hands. So, it's not your time. OK, it's God's time that he has given to you as a gift. Now, will you use it totally for your benefit? Will you be the Lord, the broker of your own time? Or will you turn that over to the lordship of Jesus, lay at his feet and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my time? And you'll be amazed at how much time you will have to do the things that God's called you to do. Now, before I go any further, let me say, this is not about works, okay? And this is certainly not about dead works that you need to repent from. This is not about going out and doing things for God, because that's what dead works are. Good works that God didn't call you to do. This is about being in tune with the Heavenly Father, having the mind of Christ, and knowing that He wants to use you, and looking for the opportunity He's giving you to use, it doesn't mean going out and doing this and this and this for everybody, and all of a sudden you're just overwhelmed with these good works that you're doing and burning your own wick and burning yourself out. It's being in tune with the Lord and realizing if you do this, He will give you things to do because He gave you your time, and He gave it to you to bless others with it. The next one, or in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, it says, We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. If we could just get that scripture into our hearts that we are no longer our own. We gave up our rights. We gave up the lordship of our life when we accepted Jesus and got salvation in return. In Romans 12, 1, it says, offer your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That's your reasonable service. Many people think that we don't have enough time to give away. But if you give it away, you'll get it back in a greater measure. Okay, now the next one's talent, all right? Again, some people have more time than they have talent, okay? Some people have more talent than they have time. But we've all been given the talents. Now, I want to read this scripture. This is so cool. Did you know that the word for wisdom in the Hebrew is chokamah, and it means the skill of your hands? That's wisdom. In Exodus chapter 28, this is what God is saying to Moses. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. God says that he gave wisdom to people to have the ability to make these different garments. Now look at Exodus chapter 31. Again, staying with the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name. Bezaleliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold, silver, brass, in the cutting of stones to set them, and in carvings of timber to work all manner of workmanship. And behold, I have given him a holyab, the son of you-know-who, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted. And I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. Now, I just, in two seconds, I made this list. Jimmy Purcello and his gift and his knowledge of cars. Dave Roberts and Fran McCarran and their gift of building. Bill Hodges and his knowledge of computers. Jeremy Hodges and his knowledge of websites. John White and his knowledge of business and marketing. Angela Howard and her knowledge of finances and banking. Ron Howard and his knowledge of woodworking. Judy Tucker and her knowledge of sewing and craft making. And I can go on and on and on. If I even got into the musical talent, I'd take up the rest of this time because there's so much musical talent. Lindsay with her talent of her drawing. Every person that has those gifts are gifts they were given to by God. And how do I know these people's talents? because these people live this teaching. I know they have these talents because I've seen them use those talents, not for themselves, but for other people. And that's the whole key with our talents. So what talent has God given you? And how are you using it past just making a living for yourself? John 13 or fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friend. Okay, the next one, and I'm doing good with time, is treasure, okay? Now, this is the one that most people don't like you touching. Don't touch my money. You know, I'll give you my time, I'll give you my talent, but don't tell me I'm required to give of my money, especially if I'm a tither. Then don't, you know, I'm not required to give above the 10% to the storehouse. And you can really tell, just personally, I wouldn't judge any of you, but you can tell who's the Lord of your life based on this one thing, based on money. If your money is the Lord of your life, You will be offended at what I'm going to say or what I've already said up to this point. So check your hearts. Let me tell you something. If God doesn't want you to make a living and doesn't want you to have any money, he can do it so easy. And if you don't think so, (laughs) go through what I went through. But I would recommend that you get this right in your heart so you don't have to go through what we went through. I always said the Lord was my provider, but I found out he's also my provision. He brought me to the place where I no longer prayed, Lord, I need this loan. I've got to have this loan, otherwise I can't pay these bills. I quit looking at the loan as provision, even as God's provision, and just looked to God. And then he did it. I tell you what, I had, we, we had a situation here. Things have been going so good for so long, and all of a sudden we're building this addition on our house, and you know, we borrowed what we felt we should borrow, and then everything else had to come out cash, and all of a sudden we were just cash poor. And Ed Agin, our electrician, said, Dean, I need you to run and get 11 light bulbs and so I can test the sockets I put up. I said, Ed, I, I don't have enough money for 11 light bulbs. <laughs> but I'm supposed to be closing this loan on Friday. And uh, I should have the money then. But I knew that that was the answer for him. And I just went to the Lord and said, now, Lord, I'm not saying I believe this loan is my provision. You are my provision. But the problem was is this particular loan I was doing, I was refinancing everything in this guy's portfolio with this little $250,000 house on everything else we were doing. And the bank wouldn't release everything else because they were holding on to the house, and so we had to get a release of that property, and they had the authority not to release it in my time frame. So this was dragging on for three weeks. We should have had our money three weeks ago, and we still didn't have it. So I woke up Friday morning, and we had really come right to the end. We needed money for light bulbs and groceries. And, you know, I just said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to close this loan today because the bank hasn't released it. We're scheduled to close at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, but I just, you know, I pray that you would provide and I believe you to provide. Well, at 11 o'clock, the banker calls me, says, are we closing today? I said, still haven't got the release from First Charter, if any of you work for First Charter. <laughs> but anyway, First <laughs> and Charter, I'm actually doing a loan with First Charter right now. But anyway, so I said, no, we haven't. He goes, well, let's get the guy and go to lunch. So we got the guy and we go to lunch at 1130. And on a napkin, we're hashing out this multi-million dollar loan on a, on a napkin and we never leave the restaurant till 2 o'clock and somehow he leaves the restaurant at 2 o'clock drives half hour back to China Grove meets with the bank gets the people together that need to make the um, decision gets it approved gets it to their people that have to draw up all the loan docs gets it to the attorney by 4 o'clock and we're sitting at the closing table at 5 o'clock on a multi-million dollar deal that just doesn't happen You know, I mean, it takes weeks to reconstruct and do deals and get them approved and get loan docs drawn and get the, you know what I mean? It just doesn't happen unless God takes it and makes it happen. And so that's why if I'm looking to the loans, I'm dead in the water before I start. But if I'm looking to the Lord, who's not confined to any box, he's the provision. So if you start looking at your money that way, that it isn't yours, it didn't start out as yours, the 90% you keep is not yours, it's all God's. And you turn over the lordship of your money, how you're going to spend your money. There's somebody in the congregation, I won't say who they are, but they were talking to me the other day. And he said, you know what? I just got my salary cut by a major percentage. And I realized, I guess I didn't need that major percentage because I'm still making it. I could have been giving that away. You know? Let me give you some scriptures with this one. Proverbs 10.22 says, it is God that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Isaiah 48.17 said, it is the Lord that teaches you to profit. I would do this. Start. They're empty. Start with an amount that's comfortable for you. I mean, literally say, Lord, I want to give away $5 a week. Let my path cross somebody that $5 would be a blessing to. And start with that. I mean, when you hear a need, um, almost all the money came in for His Heart Missions. Is the first thought that pops in your head, I wonder how much left they need. And I wonder if the Lord would have me give to that. I mean, that really should be. That really should be. To me, it's almost the other way around. I have a hard time because every time I hear a need, I want to be able to get to it, and I'm not always in a, in a position to be able to, to give. But I always do seek the Lord on it, you know, because I always have more money than I need for that week, so I always seek the Lord on what, what I should do with it, what he would have me to do with it. And it just becomes a habit. You know, the Lord gave me a word, and that's how I'm ending this, but this will become not something you know, but someone you are. If you really, really work this and commit yourself to the Lord and allow Him to do this through you, pray for the opportunity to be sent. Then look through the day for the opportunities for God to use you. Then act on those. And then think about all the blessings He's given you. And be thankful for Him because the byproduct of thankfulness is generosity. Count your blessings and then thank the Lord for Him, recognizing that it all comes from Him anyway. Let's look at Acts twenty thirty three. This is real cool. Stay with money a little longer.